Welcome. This talk was recorded at Insight LA in Long Beach. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit us at InsightLA.org. Hello and welcome, everybody. So nice to see everyone this morning. Yeah, so this is Sunday Sit, um, Inside, Inside LA, Long Beach. And uh, so today, I want to chat about uh, sadhana practice, or sadhana. Sadhana has a, some different meanings, but I would like to use it in the context of what is our practice? What is our sadhana? Usually what I get asked the most is, what practice should I do? Like, what should I do in my actual sitting practice? And I think that in, in my own experience, just my personality is that I love change. I love to do something for a little while and then do something else <laughs> and move, move around quite a bit. And my mind likes to do that too in meditation. It likes to just hang out for a little bit and then think about something else and then do something else and then do something else. Maybe you could relate a little bit. So in our practice, this is like moving on the surface of the water. But what we really want to do is drop a stone in the deep ocean and then sit with the stone as it goes deeper and deeper into the depths. So we really want to move deep into our practice. So even though the mind likes to move horizontal, we really want to stick with something and go deeper if we can. And so for me, uh, the practice of having a clear outline of what I'm doing every day is very, very helpful. It keeps me on track. It's like, okay, I have to do my sadhana practice. So I have some examples here. We're going to go over today an actual a Tibetan sadhana, Tibetan Buddhist sadhana. And I'm in no way, this is not like a, a tutorial on how to do the Chinrezig sadhana. But this is an example of an outline of a, a practice uh, session and how you can create your own sadhana. So this is only just an example. So I hope the takeaway here is how could I either refine my sadhana, your, your daily practice that you already have, create my sadhana, like make it your own, and you might want to take elements from this, and you're going to have them. I'm going to give them to you. If you wanted to, to do this sadhana, you can. They actually have a practice group at the Tibetan Center that does this every Monday night, this actual sadhana. So you can go there and actually do the sadhana. Uh, before I get started on that, I just, just something that's in my mind. Um, last night, I went to the Rainbow on Sunset Strip. How many of you ever heard of that, that place, right? It's like an iconic rock hangout from the hairband days, you know? And if you go in there, it's like the Rock Museum or something. It's like, and um, it used to be this hip happening place, and 
and now really it's just like these old rockers, like 50s and 60s, just like nostalgia, you know, hanging out. And, um, but it's old stomping grounds of my fiance, so her and her friends like to get together, and so they, we celebrated her birthday there uh, last night. And, you know, sitting there, I just really love the opportunity that we all have to take our practice everywhere. And I was thinking about today and doing the Chenrezig Sadhana, who's the Buddha of compassion. Some of you know this deity by Kuan Yin, same, same deity. Uh, it's a different name in Tibet. And just seeing love everywhere, like everywhere we, we are. And uh, Lemmy from Motorhead was a fixture at the Rainbow. And he recently passed away. And so uh, there's like a restaurant downstairs and they have like dancing, like bar and dancing upstairs. So they played, you know, Motorhead and everyone's going crazy. And then they played Prince. Even though it's like total rock place, you know, they played lots of Prince. And it was so cool. It was so cool seeing everybody just filled with joy, you know, listening to his music. And I was just thinking about the legacy of happiness and joyfulness that he was able to provide. And it was really sweet. And then I noticed one fellow who had too much to drink. <laughs> and, uh, and he's by himself. He's just you know, by himself. And uh, mostly everyone there was in groups. And he's a little belligerent. And he would just try to kind of get into a conversation and, or into like a dance groove or something like that. And so I was really just, you know, waiting for people to get highly irritated, <laughs> you know. And I was so taken because not one person or group ever did. They, they accepted him, like, in a way that no, no outward irritation showed. And I was thinking, well, maybe this is, like, not really in that scene. Maybe there's, like, there's that guy, you know, <laughs> just, like, if you frequent those places a lot, you're, like, maybe used to it. I don't know, but... I just thought it was so very kind of people. It was very loving of them. They were just really accepting of this guy who obviously just had a little too much to drink and he was kind of running into people and they would be like, hey, what's up, dude? You know, so anyway, just a couple of takeaways from last night that even though I know it's totally off subject, but not because we're talking about our practice and it, we're talking about the sadhana. This is our formal practice which is nothing but that informal practice. If we spend an hour a day practicing our formal practice and then we have crazy monkey mind and never think about love and kindness again all day, when we come back to this practice, the 23 hours of the mind is off the leash, no heart right, off the leash, we come back to the, the sadhana and we're really not gonna get anywhere, right? So we wanna carry that momentum all throughout. You know, so anyway. Okay, so first I want to just talk about the care of our practice. So in Tibetan tradition, so this is like a traditional, I'm going to give us like, I'm going to give us these more Western um, uh, pamphlets. But traditionally, a sadhana would come with something like this. And this is, this, I'm just showing this to, to show you the care that is taken from a practice, right? It's so, it's so precious. Right, the teachings are so precious. So we would keep the teachings 
We keep the teachings covered at all times. Right? So keep the teachings covered. And so a regular sadhana would come in something like this. Yeah? You might have seen these. Right? So the Tibetan and whatnot. And you have your practice manual there. So, and if not, if you didn't have something traditional, you would always just cover it. And cover anything, any kind of cloth. You know, cover the, the precious teachings to really hold them precious. There's more sadhana in here. There's hundreds of sadhanas. And so something else with a sadhana is that, or this goes with any of the dharma, and this is more Tibetan, is that there's two things. We never let it touch the ground. And I know we don't have the proper, like, stools here, but... This is just a sign of respect. So if it does touch the ground, that's, that's fine. But I just want to talk about these things to, to hold the preciousness, right? So normally we'd have these little meditation benches, you know, where people put them on their lap, and just to respect the teaching. There's one more thing that I wanted to say about the preciousness of it. Oh, yes. So if they were in the home, we would never put any dharma... Well, we never put anything on top of any dharma. So this would be like, you know, your shelf at home. You wouldn't put like, uh, you know, a bill or something on top of a dharma book or a dharma teaching. Because you want the dharma to always be front and center, right? So you could have a stack of dharma books, but you never put anything non-dharma on top of dharma. Right? To cover. Because you never want the teachings covered up by anything. Always accessible. Right? Okay. So I'll pass these out. Can the dharma be vertical or are they like... Yeah, yeah. So you can put them together in bookshelves. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. uh, but you still don't want to put, you know, another book next to it that's not dharma. Or covering it. Yeah, would be the main thing. You wouldn't want to cover it with another non-dharma book. Okay. Make, it, make it inaccessible. So again, this is the Buddha of compassion, Avalokiteshvara, in Sanskrit, or Chinrezig in Tibetan, or Kuan Yin. Kuan Yin happens to be open on that back um, chest that is actual the deity. Right there, that's, and there's a, this is the four-armed Chinrezig. So this is the four-armed Buddha of compassion. <clears throat> There's also a thousand-armed Chinrezig. And as, a, as the story goes, is Chinrezig, who's a bodhisattva, has made a firm commitment to, to attain enlightenment for the benefit of all beings, and is just is spending all his time and energy into benefiting all beings. He's frustrated. And, and I say he, but actually Avalokiteshvara um, is fairly androgynous. You know, Kuan Yin is more in the feminine form. Um, so we could use that interchangeably. So he was so frustrated that he couldn't help all beings fast enough. So in his frustration, he, he just sent out a thousand arms. And this, this is just uh, uh, an analogy of, of him striving to help all beings. So sometimes you'll see a thousand arm Chinrezig. They're just trying to go out and help all beings out at one time. So, again, 
going through a sadhana, seeing the elements. So the first element is taking refuge. So this is setting our intention. So I take refuge until I'm enlightened. The Buddha, the Dharma, the Sangha, the deposit potential I create by practicing generosity and the other far-reaching attitudes. May I attain Buddhahood in order to benefit all sentient beings. So this is the Bodhisattva vow. So what, whatever our practice is, without the intention, we're kind of uh, driving around in circles, right? So if we were going to, to drive to a certain destination, we know our destination and we drive there. So this is the very foundation of any practice, is what's our intention? And it's bookended, we'll see at the end, is that we dedicate the merit towards that intention. So everything that we're doing, we're doing with this intention in mind, and therefore we know where we're going. We know where we're going. So this is really important. And so taking refuge in this sense, it seems like we're taking refuge in external things, the Buddha, the Dharma, the Sangha, these are actually all aspects of the same thing, and they're all within. So we're taking refuge in our own Buddha nature, right? We're taking refuge in the Dharma, which is the Dharma is either all external phenomena or the, or the Buddhist teachings themselves, right? So we're taking refuge in the teachings itself, in the essence of the teachings, which again is our own Buddha nature. And then we're taking refuge in the Sangha, which is what we're looking at right here, all of us, right? Our spiritual friends, which they say is absolutely the most important piece, right? The most important piece is spiritual friends, the Sangha. So 100% of the practice, as Buddha would say, is the, is the Sangha. We cannot do it alone, right? So we're taking refuge in that, and when we take refuge in that, is saying that I absolutely have faith that I'm already what I'm seeking. This is taking refuge. Taking refuge is saying that I know that I already am that. So I could let go of everything that I'm not. I could feel free to just let the mind settle in its natural state, and I'm, I'm gonna arrive into love and happiness. Right? You're trusting in your Buddha nature. I take refuge in that. In the, in the practice, it takes a ton of courage, right, to sit in meditation and to, to look at what's inside. We're taking refuge. This is a spiritual abode, right? We're taking refuge and solace in this compassionate awareness that's looking. What is looking at the thoughts and emotions and body sensations? What's holding them? This is our Buddha nature. They say it's quite interesting. In, in Buddhism, they say when you, when you take refuge, you're really all alone now. <laughs> it's like, what? I thought I was gonna like take refuge in Buddhism or something like this. But actually, you're, you're actually not alone. You're completely full with, with essence, right? You're completely full. So you're alone because you know you don't need anything. When you take refuge, you have faith. Like, okay, I'm it, right? And these outside representations the Buddha, the Dharma, the Sangha are going to help us to realize that. But first, we have faith in that until we do. So we have faith. I have Buddha nature. Right? I'm a Buddha. I'm a Krishna. I'm a Christ. Right? Already. 
And I'm doing this for the benefit of all beings. And so next, these the elements, yes? Can I ask you about that second word, Namogurabai? Is that, what is that? Um, I won't get into the, the specific translations. Okay. Um, this, is, this is taking refuge in, in Tibetan. So okay. it's saying, um, I'm, taking, I'm taking refuge in the, in the Buddha, the Dharma, the Sangha. So I think the, fir the first one is saying the Guru, the Guru, the Buddha, the Dharma, the Sangha. Yeah. So next is the four immeasurables, or the Brahma Viharas. So you start to recognize, so they're bringing in, taking refuge already, and now bringing in the heart practices. So the Brahma Viharas, more in the Theravada tradition, so the four aspects of the awakened heart. In Tibetan, they call it the four immeasurables. And one reason for that is that they're immeasurable in scope. Like we have infinite love and kind, loving kindness within. We have infinite compassion within. So they're unmeasurable. So bringing in the heart practices. So these are sayings to, uh, to remind us of the four aspects of the heart. So the first one, how wonderful it would be if all sentient beings were to abide in equanimity, free of bias, attachment, and anger. May they abide in this way. I shall cause them to, to abide in this way. Guru deity, please inspire me to, to be able to do so. This is Yupeka. This is equanimity practice. So equanimity practice in the Brahmaharas is saying, I'm going to love you no matter what. Even though you're causing harm to yourself, <laughs> for example, I'm still going to love you. I'm going to love... This is... The equanimity practice, we really like to use the analogy of, of a parent and a child. A parent could, could uh, recommend the child to go down this path and, and walk a straight road, but at the end of the day, we're all responsible for ourselves. And so to love everyone anyway. The rest in equanimity, know that everyone's walking down their own path, and we don't know. We love them anyway. And so the most common one of the four immeasurables is metapractice, loving kindness. How wonderful it would be if all sentient beings had happiness and its causes. May they have these. I shall cause them to have these. Guru deity, please inspire me to be able to do so. So loving kindness is the wish for others to be happy. Simple as that. And there's also, too, this line in here you'll see, I shall cause them to abide in this way. What this is, is that in these traditions, at least in our mind, we think I'm the only one that can save all beings. That is absolutely up to me and me alone. I'm going to attain enlightenment, and I'm going to free all beings from infinite suffering. Infinite beings, suffering, all that are suffering, I'm going to take it away. So this is just the intention behind it. So you say, I shall cause them to do so. Please help me cause them to do so. It's going to be me. I take full responsibility. I'm going to do it myself. And then Karuna. So the next one is compassion. How wonderful it would be if all sentient beings were free from suffering and its causes. May they be free. I shall cause them to be free. Guru deity, please inspire me to be able to do so. 
love, wanting others to be happy, compassion, a little bit different flavor, wanting others not to suffer. We see the different aspects. Mudita, also known as sympathetic joy, how wonderful it would be if all sentient beings were never parted from upper rebirth and liberation's excellent bliss. May they never be parted. I shall cause them never to be parted. Guru deity, please inspire me to be able to do so. So of course, this gets a little religious. They believe in different realms of being. They believe in heaven realms. And so what they're asking is that if all beings, uh, they all be incarnated into a heaven realm. So we have heaven realms right here, right? In Tibetan, if they see a very rich person and that has all the goodies of life, they say, they actually call them gods and goddesses. It's like, like a god realm. But they have, they have like, you know, pure realms here. And really, it's all here, right? Heaven and hell is like all right here. So this is, this is our abode. We don't actually go anywhere, right? We could, be, we could be living in, it's right here. We could be living in a heavenly abode right here with nothing, nothing material. And so usually how this is taught, though, sympathetic joy, this is rejoicing. This is rejoicing for other people's happiness. Setting, setting your intention, taking refuge, moving into four immeasurables. And so if, you're, if you don't have a lot of time, you might want to meditate. Of course, there's whole courses. You could study the four immeasurables for a year. But for your sadhana, when you sit down, you have five minutes, right? Because you want to keep your daily practice going. You just read them, and you let it ignite the heart for 10 seconds. It's, it's good, right, just to keep the momentum going. So you just read them. Okay, so it touches the heart for a moment. The next is a seven-limb prayer. So this is a very famous prayer. And I'll try not to bore you by unpacking it. Um, and there's a lot of aspects to the seven-limb prayer. And again, once we meditate upon it, then we just read it. And it, it kind of ignites the more the depth of the practice. So reverently, I prostrate with my body, speech, and mind. A prostration is we prostrate is when we prostrate physically, and when we read it, we can just mentally prostrate, but we're throwing ourselves in the direction of enlightenment. So every time we prostrate in Tibetan tradition, it's a lot of physical prostrations. We're throwing ourselves into the direction of enlightenment, right? And we're giving away everything that we're not. It's a very beautiful practice. This is where I'm heading, right? And the intention that I prostrate with my body, speech, and mind towards enlightenment. So all my thoughts, what I do, my actions, my speech, all, all moving towards enlightenment. I present clouds of every type of offering, actual and mentally transformed. So this is making of the offerings. So in this, this is very devotional. So in this sadhana, it's to the Buddha of compassion. So this could be to our teachers. This could be to ourselves. This is to our own Buddha nature, right? Right. To so making of the offerings. I present clouds of every type of offering, actual and mentally transformed. In, in this tradition, they would often have 
seven different water bowls with different types of offerings. Um, I think I'm going to skip it just for now so we can go, keep going. Uh, but anyway, all the, all the different aspects of the practice, you, you're offering everything. I confess all my negative actions accumulated since beginningless time. And so this is not a guilt fest. This is like, oh my God, I'm so horrible. <laughs> this is just wisdom, right? Saying, hey, <laughs> this is wisdom mind saying, hey, I've made mistakes that caused me suffering in the past, right? You're admitting that to yourself to say, this is not part of my sustainable happiness regimen, you know, regimen. Right, what leads to sustainable happiness? So just, you're confessing them, I would like to use the word like more, I'm mindful of them. I'm mindful this did not bring me happiness in the past. Right, I'm acknowledging that, right? So we know we want to move down a different road. I rejoice in the virtues of all holy and ordinary beings. And so after we do this, you're rejoicing in your own Buddha nature. So after we kind of confess, saying, okay, I know I've done things that haven't led to my happiness, then I rejoice in my Buddha nature and the Buddha nature in all beings. All right, so this is namaste. This, the divinity within me salutes the divinity within you. And just rejoicing that we have this Buddha nature, rejoicing in the teachers, rejoicing in all this amazing uh, dharma that we have around. It's like really incredible to rejoice in that. And please remain until cyclic existence ends. So this is until samsara ends. We're asking all of our teachers, all the enlightened beings, please stay with us and remind us of our own true nature. And well, let's say like the three times and six realms, which is like uh, the past, present, and future and all the realms of existence. Not, do not forsake one single being. Please stay with us and always teach us. And then dedicating the merit. I dedicate all the virtue, virtues of myself and others to the great enlightenment for all sentient beings. So again, we're dedicating to our original intention, dedicating the merit of our practice back to our original intention to attain enlightenment for the benefit of all beings. Next is the mandala offering. So this is reaching really now deep into the heart of devotion. And mandala in Tibetan means essence. So we're actually offering our essence, mandala offering. So as you read this, you'll see what they, they actually have this golden, maybe I'll bring one in one time. They have this like golden um, little round ring and then you fill it up with, with rice, with food and jewels. Like sometimes we'll buy a, like a bag of like plastic jewels, <laughs> jewels. And, uh, and so you're offering everything to uh, your teachers, right? So you're offering everything to them. So this, this is the mandala offering. And in the preliminary practice, you will do this 100,000 times. Say a mantra and then, and then offering that up. You know, offering this up, offering this up. So this is uh, offering up Mount Meru, four lands, sun, moon, imagine a Buddha field offered to you. Also offering up all of our attachments and aversions. Um, and it says, you know, offering up attachment, aversion, ignorance, such as friends, which is always funny, right? Like, 
we're not really offering up our friends that, that, uh, the, the negative quality. Sometimes we get attached to friends, which is called like, envy, jealousy, that those types of things can happen. So we're offering up all of those, right? So offering up, so just taking those away. Okay, so then here comes the meat of the practice. So these things you'll see, taking refuge, four immeasurables, seven-limb prayer, mandala offering. You're going to see this in many, many, many sadhas. Right? And then in this case, they're moving into the actual, the actual practice of the Chinrezic sadhana. Right? So we're not going to go into this in detail. But if you, if you were, you would take your tanka, you take your your painting that you would have in front of you, or you would take your statue and you would uncover it if you can get to it. <laughs> so this is the beautiful Chinrezig. And so I actually like to hold mine. I'll actually take her out and just hold her and just look. And these are all aspects of ourselves. Manjushri, wisdom, uh, tenrezig, compassion, tara, compassionate action, uh, compassion and action, right? So these deities, Vajradhara, enlightened mind, right? These deities are, are just physical representations of what's inside. So what you're really asking is, wake this up within me. So at the end of these practices and the more advanced practices, you merge with the compassionate heart of Chinrezig. There's no difference between you, you and the deity. So you visualize the deity only to become the aspect of deity. So in this case, compassion, right? The generation of compassion. So you would, you would go through, and the first part is just telling you how to visualize if you didn't have a physical representation, right? So wish-fulfilling jewel in the middle. So it's a wish-fulfilling jewel she's holding. The white lotus that represents compassion. The crystal rosary or mala to remind you to do the, the mantra, Om Mani Padme Hum. So Om Mani Padme Hum, of course, is the mantra of Chinrezig, one of the most prolific uh, mantras in all of uh, Buddhism. So I'm not going to go through that part, but you would, you would just follow that through and you visualize that basically what you're doing is visualizing all beings, yourself, your friends, your family, your enemies, all beings. And then you're saying the mantra, Om Mani Padme Om, as many times as you have time for, visualizing that all negative karmas accumulated since the beginning of this time are wiped away from body, speech, and mind the grace of Chenrezig with every mantra. That's what you're visualizing. I myself and all beings be purified of all negative karmas of body, speech, and mind. So that you would, so if you're going to do an hour, two hours, three hours, you might spend ten minutes on the first part and then you'd say your Omani Padmiyoms for, you know, a thousand times or whatever, however much you have time for. And then, after you're done with the Omani Padmiyoms, then you go down to the next piece. 
and this would be the request prayer. And this one, well, you go to absorption, and then you go to the request prayer. And the request prayer is actually fairly unique to this sadhana. This is like a certain deity practice. So it's just requesting that, that Chinrezig stay with us and, and bless us. It's kind of a continuation of the practice. So next we go through the eight verses of thought transformation and, the, and we're only one, one away. The last thing is dedication of merit. This is an exceptionally beautiful poem, if you will. These eight verses of thought transformation. Where I lived at Land of Medicine Buddha, we had the eight verses trail and it's beautiful trail to the redwoods and they set up these amazing meditation benches with each verse and so you can go walk to the redwoods and sit down on a bench and meditate and meditate on the verse. It's super incredible, like really beautiful, really amazing. And so these are more of um, little snippets from the teachings that are fantastic reminders and I'll just kind of go through them. I know we're running a little longer on time but these are something that you could really meditate on quite a bit. The first one is basically the Bodhisattva vow, with a thought of attaining enlightenment for the welfare of all beings who are more precious than a wish-fulfilling jewel. I will constantly practice holding them dear. And then we say, Om Mani Padme Om, and allow the full presence of Chinrezig to fill your body with light. And this is really to absorb the full wisdom of the teaching, not just the words. Whenever I'm with others, I will practice seeing myself as the lowest of all. This is very un-American. <laughs> and, <laughs> uh, and from the very depth of my heart, I will respectfully hold them as supreme. And so what this is, is just trying to remove pride. Like when we, when we walk into a situation and we think, you know, we're all this and that. It's just removing of pride. So it's not like we're subservient or anything like this. It's just removing pride and accessing humility. This is actually one of my favorite sayings in, in all of Dharma, anywhere, actually. The most practical thing, um, one of the most practical things that I try to access. In all actions, I will examine my mind, and the moment a disturbing attitude arises, endangering myself and others, I will firmly confront and avert it. I use this all the time, like all the time, all the, all the, all the time, all the time. Because <laughs> the mind and the negative self-talk and, you know, endangering myself or others, just, uh, you know, complaining or um, wanting to put somebody down or like whatever, you know, just something like this, just whenever that thought arises, being mindful, look at what's arising, right? Confronting it with mindfulness. Confronting with non-judgmental compassion awareness, right? And then adverting it. And so one thing that I'll just drop into the place is just a mantra like, Om Mani Padme Om, may that being be free of suffering, right? May I be free of suffering. Like this just, it's a way just to knock it out. Because as those thoughts go, just one little seed thought just grows bigger and bigger, right? So this is an incredible day-to-day, moment-to-moment practice. Being mindful, this is what's arising. This is endangering myself. This is not 
really recognizing my true Buddha nature, averting it into something positive. Right? Whenever I meet a person of bad nature who is overwhelmed by negative energy and intense suffering, I will hold such a rare one dear as if I had found a precious treasure. Also, these are our amazing teachers, right? Teaching us patience. And so all of, we know definitely if we find somebody who is angry and hurtful, they're definitely suffering badly. This is for sure. Right away, we know this, right? So accessing compassion. When others out of jealousy mistreat me with abuse, slander, and so on, I will practice accepting defeat and offering the victory to them. Also very un-American. <laughs> um, and of course, this is paying attention to anger arising. Anger is our poison. Right? Like the Buddha says, anger is like holding resentment is like taking poison and then waiting for the other person to die. Yeah? So, yeah, you could, you could hold on, you know, somebody out of jealousy mistreats you with abuse and slander. You could hold on to hate and frustration, but they're going to be fine. <laughs> <laughs> and you are going to be suffering. When someone I have benefited and in whom I have placed great trust hurts me very badly, I will practice seeing that person as my supreme teacher. So this is equanimity practice too. Seven, in short, I will offer directly and indirectly every benefit and happiness to all beings, my mothers. So they like to think of that all beings have been my mothers in the past. I will practice in secret, taking upon myself all their harmful actions and suffering. This is actually alluding to Tonglin practice, the practice of taking and receiving, so breathing in all the negative suffering and karma of other beings, taking away all their suffering, transforming it into light and compassion and healing, and then giving it back to them. So this is actually an ode to, to Tonglin. So, this last line, I will practice in secret, taking upon myself all their harmful actions and sufferings. So this is Tonglen practice. Without these practices being defiled by the stains of the eight worldly concerns, by perceiving all phenomena as illusory, I will practice without grasping to release all beings from the bondage of disturbing and unsubdued mind and karma. So what they're talking about here is uh, more the wisdom side, the emptiness of not uh, imputing any inherent existence onto material reality, so not being defiled by um, any of that, which is a little deeper topic. We won't go, go into too much, but um, just, not, just uh, not being fooled by maya or delusion, right? So the eight verses, too, this is something that you might you find in many, many different sagas. Amazing practice to remember all these different things all in one place. So again, what practice should I do? You could see how, how many different elements you could throw into one practice to be reminded of. And so this is a Galupa tradition. The head of the Galupa tradition is a Dalai Lama. He's the head of that school. And so uh, you, would, you would always pray for the long life of your teachers. So this is a beautiful, short, long life prayer. The Dalai Lama. 
In the land of snowy mountains, you are the source of all happiness and good. All powerful Chinrezig, Timzin Gatso, please remain until samsara ends. Also, this incarnation of the Dalai Lama is supposed to be, uh, he's an, act, an actual manifestation and embodiment of Chinrezig. So he is a, a physical rep representation of Chinrezig. Um, so this is why he's also included here. So different lamas will take on different forms, maybe wisdom or compassion. And this is just the ded dedication of merit. Uh, you'll see the dedica dedication of merit in all practices, right? No matter what, what, what tradition. Um, maybe let's just read this one out loud. Due to the merit, may I soon attain the enlightened state of Chinrezig, that I may be able to liberate all sentient beings from their sufferings. May the precious Bodhi mind, not yet born, arise and grow. Once born, have no decline, but increase forevermore. Due to the positive potential accumulated by myself and others in the past, present, and future, May anyone who merely sees, hears, remembers, touches, or talks to me be freed in that very instant from all suffering and abide in happiness forever. In all reverse, may I and all sentient beings be born in a good family, have clear wisdom, have great compassion, be free of pride and devoted to our spiritual masters, and live in accordance with our vows and commitments to the spiritual masters. In whatever guise you appear, O Chinrezig, whatever your retinue, your lifespan, your pure land, whatever your name most noble and holy, may I and all others attain only these. By the force of these praises and requests made to you, May all disease, poverty, fighting, and quarrels be calmed. May the Dharma and all auspiciousness increase throughout the world and direct where I and those dwells dwell. Awesome. And so you'll find many different versions of the dedication of merit. But this, so this is the merit that is generated through this practice may completely be dedicated. And they say that once we dedicate the merit, the merit cannot be diminished. In other words, it's kind of just something if you believe it or not. But the idea is, is that we could generate merit, and then we could do something silly, and the merit could be quirked up, right? So we could dedicate that we could, we could do this good stuff. It's like a bank account, right? So you put in good jujus. <laughs> into the bank account, good karma, and you can do something silly and take a withdrawal. But if we, if we dedicate the merit, they say, if you dedicate it, then the merit that you've generated during that meditation session is actually put into the bank account to attain enlightenment for that intention. So it's done. It's good. Like you have it. It's like a bond. It's like a bond, <laughs> yeah. It's solid. <laughs> right, right. You can't, it's in the vault. It's in the vault. It's in the vault. So that's that's the that's the idea behind it, you know, whether you want to think that or not. But uh, all right, so I talked way too long. It's um, 
already 11.20. I wanted, I really wanted this to be, like I mentioned in the beginning, an example of something. And so what I want to do for the last 10 minutes um, is I want to just be still and have some inner reflection on some elements that you would like to bring into your daily practice. You can create your own sadhana. You know, a friend of mine, he, um, he was taking a lot of walks and, and he created a, a sadhana. He just wrote out a sadhana about praying for the animals beneath his feet and praying for earth. And he gave it to Lama Zopa. And Lama, Lama Zopa signed off on it and said, this is a fantastic sadhana. I want you to print the sadhana. It's a real sadhana now, right? It's walking meditation sadhana when you're walking on earth. It's really beautiful. But he, he made his own sadhana. So you can make your own. So let's just meditate for a few minutes. Let's let this reflect and let this sink in. And see just what arises for you. What elements would you like to have for your daily practice? You have just listened to a recording from Insight LA in Long Beach. For more information, please visit us at insightla.org.